Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. Hi, this is Steve Bremner, host of Fire on Your Head, and I give two thumbs up for Brian Ensminger and the Engaging Mission Show. In fact, if I had more thumbs, I would give them too. Welcome to the Engaging Mission Show with Brian Ensminger. We are bringing missions home. Each week, we hear from missionaries, ministry leaders, disciple makers, and church planters as they share about God's work in their lives and ministries. Like us, they are ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Brian Ensminger. In this week's episode of the Engaging Missions Show, we're going to talk about how God takes us out of our comfort zones, one way that freedom in Christ increased over time, and the ideal place for me to take my family, and it might not be what you think. Scott McClelland is going to join us for the leadership moment. He's continuing his series on security and leadership, and we have something really special for you at the end. Jeff Butterworth, who edits the show for me, is also a friend, and he's also a musician and worship leader, and he's written something, and we're going to offer that to you for free at the end of the show. So just make sure you listen. You're going to enjoy what he has. And with that, we're going to get right into this week's episode. All right. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show. Today is a special treat, at least for me, because we have the very first guest I ever had on the show, Alan Smith. And believe me, we have come a long way since those days, the two of us sitting on a couch trying to figure out how to get two headphones to work. It was pretty amazing. Alan is joining us, though, and we're going to turn the tables, and he's actually going to interview me as the host of the show. So this is a little weird for me, but I'm trusting that God has something in this for us. <laughs> well, so this time the interviewer gets interviewed. So Brian, you're right. We've come 131 episodes since that first episode that we shared together. And it's been an interesting twist to see how God's used engaging missions over the last couple of years. I've really been blessed personally by it, by the different interviews you've had with several people. And I've thought, well, Brian asked us all these questions, and he has a rapid-fire moment. And so over the last year or so, I thought, well, what does Brian need to share with the listeners that maybe they don't know about him? So here we are today with the founder and host of Engaging Missions, Brian Insmeager. So, Brian, I was fortunate enough to have been your very first guest nearly two years ago and had a great time doing that interview. So... I would like to put a spin on the classic game 20 questions. Oh, no. <laughs> and it's going to be a little different. Some of these you'll just rapid fire, and then some you're going to have to put some thought to. So let's begin. Question number one. Some of your devoted listeners may already know this, but where were you born and raised? Oh, I was born and raised, well, I was actually born in Hazen, North Dakota, which is a little town that's barely on the map, but I spent most of my time growing up in Jamestown, North Dakota, which for those of you who 
think that North Dakota is just a state that you fly over. It is exactly halfway between Bismarck and Fargo. And if you were to look at it on a grid, it would be 100 miles west of Minnesota and 60 miles north of South Dakota. So if you think in grids like I do, that's where it is. Okay. Question number two. What was your favorite toy as a child? Oh, my goodness. You know... I don't know that I can think of a favorite, but what I do remember is there was one Christmas where we had gone to stay with my uncle and, or my, my uncle and aunt. They lived, I don't know, 50, 60 miles away, something like that. And my parents got me something that I had didn't even know existed. And it was this spaceship thing with like little pieces that shot out of it and you could take it apart. It was at the age of six. It was like the coolest thing ever. And I remember telling them, I will love this toy forever. And I remember as a teenager finding that toy and remembering that memory and going, I guess I was wrong. Wow. See, I, I'm similar. I had the $6 million man rocket when I was a little child and it came with action figure and I always wanted to be an astronaut. So that's interesting. It's interesting. You said Christmas because that leads into question three. What was your favorite holiday as a child? And then now, as an adult, what's your favorite holiday? Oh, hands down, Christmas was my favorite holiday. And not just because of the presents, right? Um, I don't know that, I mean, I knew the stories of Christ's birth and everything, but I don't know that I really connected with it at, at that age in that level. But I loved the music. I loved the the Christmas cards. I loved the snow on the ground. You know, it was that time of year growing up in North Dakota where, you know, we would go outside with my dad and we would go sledding or something like that. So it was always that time of year when we got to do that kind of thing. So that was, that was my favorite at the time. And honestly, you know, it's probably now a toss up between Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? Because with those two holidays, you Mm. typically get the most family time, you get the most focused time. And those two times, because of the focus on Thanksgiving and the focus on Christ, can really be significant times of worship. You know, either we're connecting with an old hymn or an old Christmas carol or something brand new. I mean, just it's there's just something about those seasons in my life. Amen. And it's interesting because those two holidays seemingly come at the end of the calendar year. But as you're saying, the sharing of friends and family, and it's not about the food or the presents, it's just the enjoyment of family. Mm-hmm. It's something about that time of the year that really almost begins the year for me in yeah. a way, because it's that gathering and, and loved ones you haven't seen for a while and you're interacting again and catching up. And it all just makes the whole end of the year really special to begin a new calendar year. So that's interesting holidays. Yeah. And, you know, if I can jump in for a sure. second, growing up in North Dakota, one of the things that's interesting about those holidays is it's cold outside. So if you're going to go outside, you're going to make an effort. So it does kind of bring people together for focused time. Now, it can be time in front of the TV watching, well, Netflix now, right, or movies or whatever, or it can be quality family time. But the fact that you can't just go out and stay comfortable, I think, plays into that. Sure. Question number four, what was your favorite birthday and why? You know, that's that's probably a toss-up. I've, I've had two surprise birthday parties in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And I'm not typically a guy that likes surprises. Neither do I. Um, but I remember my 18th birthday, I was actually kind of mopey because I was having to go to the store to pick some stuff up, went and took a shower and came back out and all of my friends were sitting there waiting for me. And then something similar happened when I turned 30, which, you know, at the time I was single, I was mm. not real happy with it. God and I had had a couple discussions about okay. <laughs> that. And then to just know that, you know what? 
somebody actually does love you. Amen. Not, and not just God loves me like I read it in the Bible, but like people love right. me. And I'm, you know, with my background and my personality, I wasn't always the guy that everybody thought I love that guy. <laughs> and it's interesting you say that because we all know that God loves us. At least I think we do. Most of us have been raised that way. But God chooses to love us through his people. Oh, yeah. More than just the ambiguous God loves me. It's the people he puts in our lives that reflect his love for us. Question number five. Did you have a pet growing up? And if so, what was its name? Wow. So, yeah, I had actually several pets. Um, My brother was the cool one, so he had a rabbit. But I had um, hamsters primarily. I think I had a, uh, not a gerbil, what's the other one? Guinea pig. Um, guinea pig. I had a guinea pig at one point, and frankly, I can't remember any of their names. But I'm going to hide behind the hole that was like three decades ago. So I'm, you know, I can't. I honestly don't remember any names. But we do have two gerbils right now. They're black oh, wow. and white, and they're Mickey and Minnie. Oh, so yeah, we're we're a small small animal family. The gerbil family. Okay. Yeah. Um, what was your favorite subject in school? You know. Um, that's a tough call because I really enjoyed school. Probably the only classes I didn't enjoy were history mm. and things related to that. Things where you have to memorize this random list of dates mm. that didn't mean anything. You know, as I've gotten older, I'm like, well, of course it didn't make sense to me because the way my mind works is interrelationships. And so memorizing 1959 isn't important to me. But what is important to me is the transformation that happened after Martin Luther King. Okay. On the flip side of that, Math, science, music, all of those are like cohesive subjects where everything works together. Everything's part of everything else. And and so those, to the way my brain works, were like the perfect subject. And that is going to come up later in some more questions because, just as you're saying, math and the sciences and music, it's interesting how those do correlate with one another, and you need math in music. Oh, yeah. And we know that you're a musical guy, but that's a question later. <laughs> Number seven, who was your favorite teacher or professor and why? Hands down, favorite teacher across 20, or I don't know, 15, 20 years of schooling was my high school band director, Mr. Hmm. Torbert. Um, great guy, taught a lot about music, taught us to love music, not just to play it, not just to understand it. Um, I think that if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't have ever pursued music. Which is interesting. For those that may not know, music is a very big part of your life. So when did you actually develop an interest in music and begin playing an instrument? So it's probably two different answers because I have pictures from my parents of me at the age of like three trying to be like my dad where he would play the guitar. So I have a picture of me in like 75 or something, 1975, with a pair of headphones on. My dad's like big over-ear headphones that were so, I mean like... People now would be like, that is so retro, but they were these monster headphones. And then I had, I think, a, a little tiny guitar with a guitar cord plugged into a Pampers box. And I would just, my mom said, I would just sit there for hours with headphones on and just listen to music. Uh, the first instrument I played would have been the violin. And I started that in like fourth grade or whenever they would start letting you do that. Cause that was before the Suzuki method was popular. So you okay. didn't start people at age three or anything like that. You started them somewhere in elementary school. Didn't really like the teachers. So the first chance I had to jump ship and go to band, I did. Now, this is a bonus question because hearing that answer, so your family was musically inclined? Yeah, they were. Okay. Everybody or just your father? Uh, everybody. So my, my dad played guitar and my mom could sing. My dad could sing, that kind of thing. My mom had been in band and in 
uh, high school. She played the clarinet and hated it and didn't play it long enough to play the saxophone, which is what she actually wanted to play. My brother played piano and trombone. Um, in fact, he's a, he, for a while he was a youth pastor, and he also led worship at their church. Okay. Continuing with the music theme, growing up, who were some of your favorite artists and bands? And then now, who would you consider some of your favorite artists or genre of music? Okay. So... For most of my high school career, I was a bit of a metalhead. It was okay. the 80s, so it would have been bands like Striper and Petra and Whiteheart. Um, and you know what? Looking back, I have so much respect for groups like Petra and Whiteheart who could have taken their platform and mm-hmm. turned it into a divisive denominational thing, and they stayed true to the core of the gospel. Sure. And they were, you know, it's not like they were just doing it for mass appeal. They were trying to be true to the word and true to the body of Christ. And I so respect that. As an adult, I still enjoy a little bit of metal, but my tastes have really shifted more toward uh, jazz and toward some of those kind of things. But I mean, let, let me tell you, I'm not afraid to hop onto YouTube and, you know, pull up something by Elevate Worship or something like that that's okay. current with what we're doing because it's not just the music, right? I love music for the sake of music, but when music points people to Christ, right. it is so Huge. Now, those groups, I'm, we're similar in age, so I remember Striper coming out. And of course, I loved Petra and Whiteheart and uh, Steve, Steve Taylor yeah, and all those groups back in the day. And that was right when I was going to Bible college. So there was a lot of, you know, craziness within the church because of these groups. Oh, yeah. But I remember those. Um, were your tastes always toward the Christian music or did you have a favorite secular uh, group maybe? You know, um, when I grew up in church, it was the 80s in North Dakota, so we weren't really progressive. So at the time, rock and roll was still a sin. Okay. And so I probably would have liked some of those bands. Like now I could listen to something like ACDC and musically, I think it's stellar. Right. But, you know, as far as actually... Lyrically challenged, but the the music itself. Right. And so there would have been some other... What was like the the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, I think... you know, in high school, I worked at McDonald's, and so I would hear things when we were closing down the store. And, you know, as far as the sound goes, there were some bands like that that I really liked. Um, you know, I liked White Cross, yeah. and Rat had a really similar sound as okay. well. And so that would have been something. But I never really spent a lot of time doing that, and I always felt guilty when I did. <laughs> That's that church, growing up in church background yeah. that we share. <laughs> yeah. It was always all my friends in high school, they listened to all these groups, ACDC, Kansas, Sticks, Foreigner, all these groups, The Who, and I kind of listened overtly because I was that good church boy, so I didn't want to get caught with my radio on 107.5 <laughs> in South Carolina. But um, this brings us to question 10. This is an easy one, and this will be the last question before we take a little break. Your favorite color blue okay any uh particular shade um you know i can't think of so like it depends on who names the colors okay right so i remember reading that like topaz was this particular deep shade of blue okay but it's depending on who names it it's not always consistent but i i would say like a deep not a royal blue not a navy blue but i just i like blue i'm also fond of reds i I tend to like primary colors okay and i tend to like bold colors if you will i like that i'm a dark green for whatever reason dark (laughs) green has been my favorite color and so this brings us to the end of the first half of 10 questions we're going to take time now for a little break and then when we come back we're going to get in some more questions and some more personal and spiritual questions as well all right 
take your leadership to the next level. It's time for the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment with Scott McClelland of FX Missions. Hi, it's Scott McClelland with your Leadership Moment. Hope it's going your way. I want to kick off today with a, a question. Who said this? Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader. Who said that? For you, for you studious guys or girls, for those of you who are familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, you'll probably recognize that as the voice of Jesus himself, the full verse, Matthew 23, verse 10, do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. Jesus said that. We should pay close attention, I think, on that basis. And what is he, uh, is he serious here? In our culture, I think we, um, we may have a hard time incorporating this idea into our sense of leadership because everyone wants to be called a, a leader or be seen as a leader or, or, uh, have leadership, uh, recognized in terms of what they contribute. And I think there's uh, also a trap there. How do we justify our concept of leadership in light of this verse? We might want to step back from that question and ask ourselves, where does our concept of leadership come from? Maybe we have a sense of leadership that comes from our parents or role models, people we have lucked up to uh, in our past or from history. I think we need to be careful here to try to get our minds wrapped around what is it that Jesus is saying. Any true and comprehensive perspective of leadership from a biblical perspective will require us to incorporate this truth into it, even though it may represent a stumbling block to many of the current themes and trends in leadership thought. We've got to get our minds wrapped around this. I want to, I want to ask you to think about this. We might hold, uh, the, the words of Jesus at a, a certain level of influence in our lives and not realize that culture itself is sort of outweighing what we consider to be truth when it relates to Jesus' words. We might hold the possibility of being known as a leader in higher priority than actually taking these words on board. And I think that's a trap for us. We've got to watch out for that. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader. That is Christ, Matthew 23.10. We're going to be talking about this over the next couple of uh, sessions. And uh, I want today not so much to give my thoughts, but to encourage you to think. What is Jesus saying when he says, do not be called leaders, for you have one leader? We'll talk about that over the next couple of times here on the Leadership Moment. Thanks for listening in. I'm Scott McClellan. If you'd like to contact me or us, please do so at fxmissions.com. Have a good one. This Leadership Moment was produced in partnership with Engaging Missions. Have your leadership question answered by contacting Scott at scott at fxmissions.com. Visit FX Missions to learn more about how you can grow your leadership and engage in missions. Visit engagingmissions.com for encouragement, insight, 
and resources from missionaries, ministry leaders, and church planters. Before we get back into the interview, I just want to mention that the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment is now available as a standalone podcast. If you're interested in subscribing to that, visit engagingmissions.com slash leadership moment. That'll take you right to where you can subscribe to the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment podcast. And with that, we're going to get right back into the interview. Well, we're back, and we're here with Brian Insminger, the host, the founder and host of Engaging Missions, and we've completed our first 10 questions of a 20-question get-to-know-the-interviewer kind of a day. And so now we're going to pick up with the next 10, and I know personally from our relationship over the years that you're not particularly a big sports enthusiast. Uh, would that be a fair statement? Uh, that might be an understatement. <laughs> okay. In fact, if I could, so a couple Grossly of weeks... Grossly understated. But it was like two weeks ago, I interviewed a guy who's a missionary to Malawi, and they're using sports to make disciples, and I'm like... Oh, wow. Isn't that just like God? Amen. Yeah. Takes, and it's amazing how he'll take us out of our comfort zones, but also things that we may not be interested in, it's amazing how he'll use that gift in somebody else to spread the gospel. Oh, yeah. So you not being a sports enthusiast, and of course I am, and you know that, if you were forced to sit in a room and watch one sporting event from the beginning to the end, what would that be? Am I watching on TV or live? Uh, Live. Hockey. Okay. Easy. Just because? Well, so hockey was a sport that our high school participated in. Okay. So it was one of the many sports that I experienced as a band member because the band is always an accessory to whatever sport happens okay. to be happening. And hockey, it's it's like it's like you if you think about football as full contact chess, sure. right? Ding your turn, ding my turn. Right. Hockey's like that in terms of the physical stuff. Right. right. But there's no stopping. It's like if you took um, lacrosse and f- soccer and football, put them all together and put them on ice skates and said, okay, now you're never going to stop unless somebody gets hurt. <laughs> and interesting, because I'm from South Carolina originally, and I knew of hockey growing up, but I'd never followed the sport. Very rarely saw it on TV. And of course, now you have 24-7 anything on television. But now moving to Nashville, and of course, we have the Nashville Predators. Go Preds. They're fighting for the playoffs now. Huh. And and so I've been to a few hockey games I guess you call them games or matches, whatever. But I've been in person a few times, and I enjoy it mainly because it's indoors. Mm-hmm. So it's cool, it's air-conditioned. And and you're right, I enjoy that competition. That uh, It's full-contact craziness, and it's all legal. Um, <laughs> so following up with that, what was the last sporting event that you saw in person? Oh, wow. It's... Yeah, that's probably gonna, I'm probably going to have to think about that longer than the deep questions because I have to remember when I last went to a sporting event because it, it's been a little while. Um, it might have been a football game. I won some tickets to, um, what's our team, the Titans, okay. to a Titans game a couple of years ago, and I can't remember if that was after or before the last time I went to a hockey game. But with two young kids and knowing sure. that we have to pay for our sitter and all that stuff, we don't get out it's much. It's a little challenging to go to live sporting events. Yeah. I thought you might have gone all the way back to high school, and just <laughs> when you threw that out there a while ago, I've never thought about it, but a band playing at a high school hockey match. It's kind of interesting. I can almost see that in the arena. Well, let's just say it was loud. Well, I can imagine. <laughs> 
So I know you've taken up personal fitness uh-huh. over the last year, year and a half or so, and specifically running. Mm-hmm. And I know that you and Catherine, your wife, have lost quite a bit of weight and converted to a healthier nutrition style mm-hmm. of living. And I applaud you for that. Um, so this question, number 13. So that being said, if you could have one serious cheat food that you could eat every week and it wouldn't add any calories or weight, what would that food be? It's probably a 50-50 tie between pizza and ice cream. <laughs> okay. And, so- and in fact, if I could just roll them into one big ice cream pizza, <laughs> that'd probably be like the perfect thing. Okay. So since you mentioned those two, last time you had some pizza. Uh, it's been a few. It's been a few weeks. Wow. Um, occasionally, we'll have. I work for a big company, as okay. you know, and if they bring in food and there's extra, I'm not afraid to scavenge. Sure. Uh, a lot of times recently, they've been bringing in Greek or something like that, which oh, is wow. a lot healthier and really sure. good. But if there's some Jets pizza, you better know I'm going to try <laughs> and grab <laughs> some of that. <laughs> well, again, I applaud you on your. Uh, I've noticed, and it's been an incredible uh, transformation. And uh, I myself am trying to start something here. I've been going to the doctor. So I may get some tips from you about the uh, weight loss and nutrition. You know what helped me was thinking, you know what? At the time I was like, when I was getting back into it, I was like Mm 37-ish. And I'm thinking, you know what? My daughter's two and my son's about born. I'm going to be AARP age. I'm going to be nearly retirement age by the time they're getting out of high school. And I really want to live long enough and have enough vitality to enjoy my grandkids. Amen. Amen. So we've got seven questions left, and now the serious questions. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. There's still one or two uh, frivolity in there, but here comes a serious one. Money is no object, and you have a whole month to spend. Where in the world would you like to take your family, and what sites would you like to see? Wow. You know, as I'm, I'm thinking about that one, honestly, it's a bit of a struggle. But I know that, you know, my wife, before we met, she was a missionary and she sent, spent some time in Greece and other places in Europe. And as a missionary, she didn't really get to experience a lot of the, the culture and a lot of the, I mean, they, they stayed in youth hostels mm-hmm. and things like that. They traveled on the train, they slept on the street. Wow. I would love to be able to give a more full experience of that kind of thing. And if, if we're thinking like vacation, I would love to do that because, um, you know, I've, I've been to Europe. It's fun. I don't really care that much for Paris, but I want to have those experiences with our kids because right. I want them to have those other cultural experiences. And Europe isn't so different from the U.S. that it would be a huge culture shock for them. Great. Number 15, what book are you reading right now? And what is the last book that you've completed? That's a two-for-one question. Yeah, that's a twofer. So currently, I'm probably reading about five books because, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a little, I'm not technically ADD, but you never know. He says that as I roll my <laughs> eyes, I can barely focus on one book. So the one that I was working on this morning is called Will It Fly? It's a book by Pat Flynn, who's an entrepreneur, hmm. and it's all built around the idea of... Um, identifying a product or a service to offer people. And to me, I think, well, that plays a little bit into what I want to do, not only as, you know, wanting to offer things for money, but also going, can I identify what my listeners want Mm. and, and align that with who I am and find the thing that I can offer where I can make the most difference for them? Amen. And it's interesting how everything, uh, people in the church a lot of the times think everything has to be Christian focused or Christian based to be utilized. But mm-hmm. you can, as a believer, take things from other 
sources and translate that a lot of times into godly principles or foundations that will benefit the kingdom. Oh, yeah. Because they work. You know, one of the things I remember learning when I was in college, I went to a Christian school, and one Mm -hmm. of the classes they forced us to take, it was a requirement, was called Essential Christianity. Mm -hmm. And one of the foundational, we talked about things like spiritual disciplines and stuff like that, but we also went through a book called The Idea of a Christian College. And one of the foundational principles of that book was a recognition, especially in terms of a liberal arts education or a, a broad education, not a specific ministry education, was that all truth is God's truth, regardless of where it's found. Right. And the idea being that we don't have to to dismiss science mm-hmm. because we believe in God. We don't have to turn off our brains in order to believe in God. And so I've tried to approach my entire life as a lifelong learner, which works perfectly because I'm a bit of a nerd. I'm a huge nerd. <laughs> and, and so that works really well because I want to continue learning from whomever I can learn so long as what I'm learning isn't in direct conflict with the word. And then it's something where I have to go, okay, is my understanding of one or the other incorrect? Because what I really am, uh, what I'm pursuing is truth. Right. Because all truth is God's truth. And so if I find truth and I'm looking for God, I find them together. Amen. And that's where the wisdom of God then applies to those other areas to give you discernment on how to benefit from that. And it's interesting, the class that you spoke of, apparently you went to an Assembly of God college as well because I went to Southeastern in Lakeland, Florida, and I knew that course. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Question number 16. What one thought... Or piece of advice would you tell the 18-year-old Brian today if you could? It's really simple. It's so much easier to hear God's voice and to know what he wants you to do than you think it is. Mm. And that's still something that I struggle with. But I remember I would sometimes spend hours in prayer asking God about something because I didn't think that he could give me the answer easily. Mm. I, I would never think that he could actually give me an answer that would align with what I actually wanted, because everything I'd ever heard about pursuing God was primarily around people who left everything to do something. And I'm like, so I figured God had to really get them to do something they didn't want to do, because <laughs> it's a little bit weird having a show like mine, but a lot of what they would talk about were the challenges and the struggles and the, the, the beatings and all of that stuff. And I'm not saying that's not real. Right. But that created in me a little bit of fear about hearing God's voice and then mm-hmm. doing what he called us to do. In fact, I mean, you remember church camps. You would have, you know, first day you get them saved, second day, right? There's always a formula. And the sure. last day it's, okay, well, now who feels called to missions and full-time ministry? Well, there's nothing wrong with that, right? right. But there was never a call. And who feels called to bring the gospel into the marketplace? Right. And Or just be a minister to your neighbor. Right. You know, over the fence and just share the love of God by taking meals or checking on them and, and just showing the love of Christ to the next door neighbor. Yeah. And see, I never felt called to be a vocational minister mm-hmm. or a vocational uh, missionary or anything like that. Now, truth be told, I don't know what God's calling is for me next. I'm just trying to be obedient. But right. because I never felt called that direction, then it was really hard to go, okay, well, can God speak to me about this? Amen. And something that Bruce Coble, uh, Pastor Bruce Coble at our church, has shared is it's not so much about what's next month or next year. It's what has he called me to today. Mm-hmm. Being a functional missionary in today, whether it's domestic or international, where is God telling me to go today and who is he challenging me or encouraging me to minister to today? And if we'll just put a several string of todays together, before you know it, we've turned around and we've lived a missional life. Yeah. 
Um, can can I jump? Sure. Can I, so, you know, as I've been doing this show, I expected that God would begin to change me and transform me, which of course he has. But, you know, one of the most amazing things for me isn't just hearing the stories and mm-hmm. isn't just connecting with missionaries. It's because before every show, I get an opportunity to pray with them and pray for mm-hmm. them. And sometimes that pr- most of the time, that prayer time is much sweeter and much deeper than my personal devotion time. And what I've found is that as I've begun to develop these relationships and as I've begun to see the world differently, I find that I carry missionaries and the the nations, if you will, at least in some small way in my heart, Mm. wherever I go. And so it can be worshiping on a Sunday morning. It can be in prayer, but I find my heart for them becoming bigger than my heart for what I want God to do for me. Right. And I'm going to touch on that on our very last question. I didn't mean to jump on my head. No, no, no. That's that's interesting how God's weaving that in this day. So you have a wonderful wife, Catherine, and two beautiful children, and I've been blessed to know your family over the years. In fact, my daughter is one of your babysitters, and so we've enjoyed having them in our house many times, and uh, they're just precious, and they've made me laugh and smile for a lot of reasons. So question 17 is this. What would you say is your favorite moment or memory with Alyssa? So... I can't. I, I was thinking about that a lot today, and I can't come up with a favorite. But what I can come up with is maybe a season or a type of thing. So, okay. uh, a couple of years ago, actually maybe last year, we um, we had Saturday mornings where I would take every couple of weeks. I would take one of the kids, and my wife Catherine would take the other kid, and so I would take Alyssa, and we would go to uh, Krispy Kreme Donuts. Okay. And we would get some donut. She would get chocolate milk and I would get some coffee. It's horrible coffee, but the donuts are great. Sure. And then we would go get a car wash and then we would go home. And having that time with her, I found that was really meaningful. Um, in, in fact, if, you know, even thinking about both of them, it, it's that time. Just, just this morning, I needed to get the kids out of the house because my wife had something going on. And so, we left and my daughter was upset and so she cried most of the way, but she finally stopped. And what we did was we went to, we went to a parking lot and watched airplanes take off. Nice. Then we went to the airport and walked around. Okay. Then we went to story time at the library. Then we went and walked down, walked through a mall that's pretty much closed down. <laughs> and just, and then we went to uh, the skating rink where the predators train and we just kind of watched that kind of stuff. And being able to do that with those kids, I know that what I'm doing is investing my life in them, even yeah. if it's just that time. And what a unique perspective there, both of us being fathers. And and what I've heard in your reply there is this. It's not so much the activity. It's the togetherness. It's the communion with one another, which is exactly what our Father desires with us. It's not the conferences or the missions trips that we take or the services that we do. It's talking to Him in our vehicle when we're driving mm-hmm. to work. It's having those moments with him just when we're all alone and just communing with him, just talking as if he is literally sitting right beside us. Those are the memories that, right. that you know, we generate with ourselves. And so, um, you know, I enjoy that answer of just spending the time. Just, okay, it's Krispy Kreme donut, it's chocolate milk and coffee, and we went and got a car washed. But as your daughter grows, those are memories that when she becomes a mother someday, she's going to go, man, I really enjoyed just driving around with my dad. And some of the silly songs you may sing or the 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 daddy what if questions, those oh, are yeah. interesting. 
But those are things that will trigger in her memory that as she becomes a mother in time, she'll want to pass on that commitment and connection with her children, and she'll remember that from her father. Yeah, and you know, truthfully for me, that is so hard because Mm. I grew up in the northern part of the United States, and the United States is not known for being strongly relational, right? Right. So I tend to be super task-oriented and super goal-oriented. Even though I never think of myself as goal-oriented, I'm always completion-oriented. So it's just, what can I get done so I can get to the next thing? If there was no speed limit, I would be the happiest driver in the world because I just want to get to the next thing. So it's so hard for me to go, okay, the next thing is to stop and do something with my kids. And, not and to making have... it intentional. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And it's, it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't have to be something major. It's just intentionally spending that time. It can be as silly as rolling on the floor, giggling or whatever, but it's that oh, yeah. time, that focus. Well, and you know, one of my favorite things with James, my son, is on Sunday mornings, I go to the first service at church and my right. wife stays for second because she's involved in, in, in second service. So I will bring James home with me. And we'll make cheesy chips, which is what we call nachos. <laughs> we'll start the laundry. We'll um, play a little bit, whatever it is that we do. But that's time for him, even though sure. it's not a date per se or anything right, like but that. It's, it's daddy son time. It's that commitment that you have just for him. Yeah. And other than a couple of deliverables that we need to get done, you know, we have to start the laundry or we won't have clothes next week. Right, right. Other than that, it's just time that we spend together and we get just get to enjoy. Some, and, and really, it's kind of organized around food, which is really like the body, right? There you go. And it's also the scripture... We think of train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. We think of that, or were trained to think of that earlier, that it was a disciplinary thing. But it's not so much about discipline. It's train that child up. Oh, yeah. So you're teaching your children now through these activities how to be relational with their parents, and, and so that someday they're going to be that way. But it's also teaching them how to be relational with other people, especially in the body of Christ. Question number 18. We're getting close to the end. So obviously missions plays a large part of your life and ministry. And I'm blessed to serve as the assistant missions pastor at Springhouse Worship and Arts Center, where we both attend. And so currently we serve and support 22 missionaries in the United States and around the world. So this question is here. If the Lord opens up an opportunity to you in the near future... Where would you like to go on a short-term missions trip? You know, I thought about that one because you sent it to me mm-hmm. before, and it's really kind of two answers. Um, one is, personally, I'd really kind of like to wait a couple of years till my kids are a little bit older mm-hmm. because what I'd like to do is something with them. And then the destination doesn't really matter. Right. You know, honestly, what I'd really like to do is something that's three-generational where my mm-hmm. kids and my family and my parents are in some way involved in something, whether it's some kind of mercy ministry or some kind of helps ministry or something like that, because I want to sow that into their lives. However, one of my guests, uh, Tony Hedrick, is leading a, he's calling it a vacation with purpose into okay. Italy, where they'll, they'll take people and they'll meet some of the ministers that are working over there. So it's kind of a vacation because it's got some of the pieces of vacation, but it's also got some of that. And He's just got such an effervescent personality, something that I'd like to capture because I don't. Okay. That part of me just wants to go to get the experience of being with him. So that's kind of my two answers. You know, one would be with that, but the other one, the, the really big one is it doesn't so much matter where as with whom. And, and that's a very good point because it's a matter of hearing God 
call you to go. Oh, yeah. Well, I want to go to Honduras. Well, that's you wanting to go to Honduras, but God may not call you to that particular trip. That's something that I struggled with as I started taking some of these trips. I wanted to go just because everybody was going, and then I realized God hasn't really called me to go to that location. And so then I'm wasting everybody's time by going. I mean, sure, I might be able to do something, but there's no benefit spiritually to me or them if I'm not doing in obedience. So like you're saying, it's really not a matter of the place or the location. It's has the Lord called me to this? And if so, then I'm going to go wherever he sends me and and function that way. And, And, you know, I was talking about that with one of my guests that'll be published a couple weeks from now, but it'll be a couple weeks before this actually goes live. And I just framed it up because I knew that she had some perspective and I was like, you know what? There seems to be a lot of argument in the church about whether it's worthwhile to spend money on short-term missions, you know, because you go, well, sometimes lives are transformed and other times it's just a big waste of money. She said, well, money's totally the wrong conversation. Yeah. The question is, did God call you to go? And if so... As long as you're hearing from God and it may be confirmed through other people, as long as that's his direction, the discussion about money is a non-issue. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a good investment or bad investment, if if my boss at work says, do this, unless it's morally wrong, right. I do that and that is the right thing to do. Even if I think he's made a wrong call and everybody tells me is he's an idiot, right? <laughs> it's my job to do Carry out to the, the very mission. best of my you know, the very best of my ability. And especially if I think about God, he's not wrong. Right. I might hear him wrong. And so that's something that God and I can work through. But if God says, do it, that's a done deal. After that, you might want to pray about it and go, is it okay for me to go on this trip? Correct. You know, because I think there are times where God goes, yeah, okay. I'm, I appreciate that because he allows us to see what's in our heart, right? He doesn't mm-hmm. just say, do this, do this, do this. He continues to grow us and to transform us into people who are like him. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways we see that is when our heart aligns with what God wants before he tells us that's where he's leading us. Amen. This is a easy question. The next to the last one. Favorite movie? The Princess Bride. Wow. I mean, that was right on his... We own like two or three copies of that because each, <laughs> my wife and I both owned that movie before we got married. Okay. And, you know, it's light, it's easy, it's fun. There's almost nothing inappropriate in the whole movie. It's and just, there's a lot of humor in there. Oh there are goodness. so many great one-liners and scenes. And you know what? I didn't, I, when I was in high school and it came out, I didn't really understand everything they were making fun of either. So it's even fun to watch back and go, <laughs> I didn't get that. <laughs> exactly. I missed that then. So that's great. Well, that was an easy one. And it's interesting just to jump back two questions ago. You mentioned Italy. One of the earlier questions, if you had a month to spend and, and money was not an issue, um, and I said, well, I know where mine is. That's me. I want to go to Italy, and not just because of the food, but I want to go to Italy because I'd like to travel uh, Paul's missionary journey through there, and I'd like to see the places where Paul had gone and ministered and see how the body of Christ affected that nation in that era at that time. So that was interesting. You mentioned Italy there. So here we are at the final question. And and before we get to the question itself, I just want to tell you it's been a joy for me today to be in studio with you and to have this opportunity to let our listeners uh, get to know the voice behind the voice a little more personally. And I also want to thank you for the insight and the encouragement and the blessing that Engaging Missions has brought to me personally. And I know for all the listeners who's joined over the last two years, I have been enriched 
and have gained some knowledge and ways to encourage missionaries because that's my calling. I'm not necessarily called to be a missionary, but I feel like God has called me to encourage missionaries. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's through emails, phone calls, when they come back to the States, being able to take them to a meal or have them in our home, just whatever the Lord can use my family to bless them is where God's put me. And so hearing your engaging missionary guests over the years hearing their plight, hearing their stories, and like you're saying, just how God called them and the unique stories of, well, I was, you know, I can't give you examples because there's been 131 of them, (laughs) but there's so many great stories, and I encourage your listeners to go back and check some of the old podcasts. So thank you for hearing God and doing this. I remember when you just briefly ran this by me one Sunday, and we kind of talked about it before it ever became a fruition, and and now look at you two years over, two years later, and 130-plus guests, and you've got several lined up. It's just amazing to see how God's taken this oh, man. desire and dream that you had and how he's just exploding it. And so this leads us to question 20. Where would you like to see engaging missions and its impact in five years? So, you know, as I think about this, my my heart really isn't for engaging missions. I enjoy it and I want to keep doing it. But what I really want to see is the global body of mm. Christ fully engaged in the calling, the mission of God on the earth, fully connected to each other, fully resourced and equipped. And that doesn't just mean people sending money so missionaries have a nice car. I don't have a problem with that. I want missionaries to have a nice car. But it also means the person in the marketplace being encouraged and knowing, you know what, not only is what I do important because I can help bring finances or something to somebody else, but God put me here for a reason, and I am fully equipped to live out my purpose here, which includes doing a good job and having good relationships with the people around me and being able to bring the gospel into that and bringing, in fact, just before we started recording, I was talking to a guy who was for a while a missionary to Mongolia, and he trained somebody who spent some time in, uh, I want to say it was Morocco, it's kind of escaping me right now, but when they brought in the gospel, they didn't just bring in the the gospel and just say it's all about Jesus saving you. They transformed cities because what they brought was not just a helps ministry, not just a love ministry, but it also wasn't just a presentation of the gospel. It was, if you believe God, if you follow God, what you do will transform this this nation. And the guy spent a little bit of time there, and then like 90% of the time after that was the work of the indigenous people who brought in clean water wells and came wow. up with a different way to do that so people wouldn't die. And they came up, you know, they, they developed the, the city. And that's what I want to see is the whole gospel, the full gospel of Christ in active in our lives, in our communities, in our workplaces, and on frontier missions or what we might think of in military terms as a forward base. You know, God sends right. somebody in first to, to establish something or to spark something, but that doesn't mean it stops there. And it doesn't mean that they're the one to bring it to the, to the, to the final goal line. But we become, for whatever reason, it's probably because it's just difficult. We've, we've, 
aren't always fully engaged or fully enfranchised mm-hmm. in what's going on, even though we have a part of it. But it's right. so easy to forget that what they're doing. So, you know, missionaries that we know, what Seth is doing in Australia and in, sure. the, in the, the Southeast Asia area, that's part of who I am. That's part of what we, the global body of Christ, are doing. It's not just him. It's not just me here. It's us. We're together. We're one. Exactly. And what is so... Amazing and overwhelming at times that I hear from so many missionaries that I've had the opportunity to associate with and become friends with and family with within the body of Christ is it's more than the money. It's more than the things that we can do or send. It's the relationship. Mm-hmm. It's knowing that I'm in Honduras or I'm in Kenya or I'm in Mita, I'm in Southeast Asia, and knowing that you're praying for me. Yeah. And you're not just saying you are, you're really praying. It's knowing that uh, getting that email every month, just saying, hey, praying for your health and safety. Yeah. It's those little communications that we can continue to express the love of Christ through community right. with them. And I enjoy the point that you made earlier about the marketplace. One of my favorite books is Kings and Priests mm-hmm. because you look how the Lord used them in the Old Testament. And while we're a modern day society, God has empowered people to make wealth and to provide the finances for the kingdom for those that are called to go and be pastors, teachers, or missionaries to send them. And and so we are all called. We may not be called to Africa or Antarctica. What a place to go <laughs> as a missionary. I wouldn't thought of that. But, but God empowers all of us to be a missionary literally wherever we're placed mm-hmm. in the marketplace, school teacher missionaries, executive missionaries like yourself, tech missionaries. We're all sent mm-hmm. to live a life of integrity and approach. One of my favorite scriptures, obviously, is Romans eight twenty eight, mm-hmm. And growing up in the church, we always stopped at 828, but it's verse 29. The completion of that, the whole purpose of all that, the good and the bad, and him working those for our good, is to conform us to the image of Christ. Right. It's not the image of Alan or Brian. If we reflect Christ, all the good and bad that's happened in our life, if we can reflect Christ to those around us, they will be drawn, and they'll be ministered to, and then God can use us as servants. Brian, thank you for your time today. It's been a joy to get to know you. And having known you, I've been at the church 16 years now, and I've learned some things about Brian Hensminger <laughs> that I didn't even know. So I'm glad I had these wacky questions. Uh, I know our listeners have enjoyed it. And so personally, thank you. Oh, thank you. And for those of you that are joining us, I did want to just mention, if you're interested in the link to Kings and Priests or anything like that, just visit the show notes page, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash interview the interviewer, because my name is super hard to spell. So interview the interviewer. Amen. Thank you, Brian. Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Missions show. Sometimes it's tradition, you know, that has hold of these men. Uh, other times, on the other hand, we see somebody who is filled with hope and joy and expectation, anticipation of what God is going to do, and you see Jesus Christ alive, overflowingly alive in that person's life. We ask God to bring us to these, these folks. 
If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the Engaging Mission Show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That was Don Biggie, who's going to be the guest on next week's show. I'd like to extend my sincere thanks to Alan Smith for joining me for this episode and for turning the tables. And I'd also like to thank you as the listener for stopping by. I really hope that you were encouraged and challenged and received something from this and maybe even just enjoyed it a little bit. Visit engagingmissions.com slash leadership moment to subscribe to the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment podcast. That's the new podcast that Scott McClelland is launching. So if you enjoy the leadership moment, that's the place to subscribe to that. And then make sure you stop by next week where Don Biggie will be our guest. He's the strategy director for E3 Partners in Russia, and he's got some really, really good stuff to share. Not only stories, but also deep insights, wonderful things that I think you're going to enjoy. Now we're going to shift a little bit. And like I mentioned in the opening, we're going to hear from Jeff Butterworth, who is the audio editor for this show. He's also a songwriter and a worship leader, and he's going to bring one of his songs for us called Make My Heart an Altar. So Jeff Butterworth, Make My Heart an Altar.
to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. 
Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.